Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I'm your host, Paula Jenkins. I invite you to join me as we explore how inspiring people have chosen joy in their lives and what they have to share with us about how to jumpstart joy in the world. Plus, how do we follow our own hearts, find work that lights us up while mindfully noticing the role that joy plays in our own journey. Welcome to episode 95. This is Paula Jenkins, the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. Today on the show, I am so excited to have Kira Sabin of League of Adventurous Singles join me as part of July's Finding Your Voice Month. Kira joins me to talk about love and relationships, which is something that hasn't been a topic on the show before, which just kind of blows my mind since joy and love are so very closely joined at the hip. Kira shares about how each of us learns to love growing up, what you can do to really get ready for an amazing relationship. She talks about her journey as an entrepreneur, and we share our deep-seated love of a truly favorite show and of Green Gables. I am so glad that Kira is here to share her wisdom about love. Before we get to that, I am also super glad that you are here and listening this week. Thank you so much for tuning in and for joining me. I publish show notes for each episode that include links to the guest site, additional references, and some of my thoughts about the topics, and you can find them for this episode at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 95. If you are loving this show and have been listening, would you do me a big favor and share it with someone else that you know and who you think would love Jumpstart Your Joy just as much as you do. It would be so wonderful if you would share the link and let them know about the joy happening over here on the show so that they can listen too. You can find Jumpstart Your Joy on iTunes and we are on TuneIn, another podcasting spot. If you want to find the show there, just search for Jumpstart Your Joy and then click on the cover art to see the full listing of episodes. You can listen to any of the shows there and be sure and hit the subscribe button so you can automatically get each new episode delivered as it's released on Tuesdays. This week, Kira Sabin joins me to chat about love and relationships. She's the head love counselor over at the League of Adventurous Singles, where she encourages single women to embrace the awesomeness of singleness, to take responsibility of what is theirs and let go of whatever is holding them back. She leads singles to figure out what they want, how to love, and how to make decisions based on love, not fear, which of course is one of my favorite topics ever. Such a key learning that comes from Dr. Wayne Dyer, at least in my world. She believes in adventures, in breaking down walls, and revisiting mindset and confidence as the building blocks of discovering a relationship that feels right and that can be the one that you have for your entire life. The other thing that we chat about at the beginning of this discussion is our deep-seated love of both Judy Bloom and Anne of Green Gables. So Kira shares how she has visited Prince Edward Island. Oh my goodness. That's obviously Anne's home in the book. And she and I get into the debate of which is better, the 1985 version of Anne of Green Gables or the brand new Anne with an E that is now out on Hulu. 
the votes are in, folks, and you're going to have to listen to hear the reviews. <laughs> and so here is my chat with Kira. Welcome to the show. Today, I am so excited to have Kira Sabin on with me. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, Kira. Yay! Yay! I'm so I am ready to jumpstart my joy and your joy and everybody else's joy too. I'm so excited yes. to be here, Paula. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, let's start it off with the first question. I ask everybody as a child, what were your earliest sparks of joy? I will say I feel like I had a little bit of an idyllic childhood. I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin, the mm-hmm. kind of town where all the neighborhood ca- kids came over to our side yard and played kick the can and kickball every night. You know, we rode our bikes to the pool and stopped by the Dario for ice cream after. We- I mean, it was it was pretty awesome in the 80s. But I love to sing. You know, if there's one thing that uh, sparked my joy and, and not I don't think I even noticed because it was such a part of my childhood, mm-hmm. how much it meant to me until I was much older. But it was something I always loved to do that I just had a natural gift for. And it just it. It still to this day lights me up. And I'm like refinding it right now. So that's a whole another conversation. Oh, wow. That is awesome. Well, and it's so interesting. So I was a kid. Well, I lived in Minnesota growing up. And I was a kid in the Lutheran church choir that mm-hmm. sang loudly. No one ever commented on how well, just that I was a loud <laughs> singer. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. Yeah, that and I so now, funny. you know, looking back, can kind of see the, what they meant. I do. I'm a loud person, but mm, yes, I totally know about the Midwest in the '80s and swimming in lakes and yes, playing in the side yard. I totally can relate. I also kind of love that you say Judy Bloom is your spirit animal. What is your favorite book by Ms. Bloom? So, I mean, I basically love all books by Judy Bloom because. <laughs> Right? Like she was the only person or one of the few people who were telling the real stories of what it was like to be a child or a preteen or a tween or whatever, you know, or a teenager. But Mm -hmm. I actually, my favorite book is Tale Tale of a Fourth Grade Nothing. Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing and Super Fudge because I was literally fudge in that scenario. (laughs) My sister was straight up. uh, I believe it was Peter. Yes. Older child. And I was straight up like the one who came out of the womb uh, singing and dancing like, hello, my baby. Hello. You know, and annoyed (laughs) her to no end. That was me. Yes, that is so awesome. There's really no better start to a book. I mean, I think Tales of Fourth Grade Nothing is where doesn't Peter pee in the plant? Like, isn't that the very? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, I don't know if I was so fudge, but as a child with like straight up ADHD, which they did not know, like what ADHD was at the time, it was just Kira had a lot of energy. You know, like there was part of me who definitely understood Peter, but there's part of me who like, who was kind of like, I get fudge. Fudge and I are like, we're there. Like, I understand that, you know, I, I didn't do all of the ridiculous things, but I found him so humorous because I think there was like a little part of him inside of me. Mm, yes, yes. And does it, I mean, Judy Bloom does such an amazing job of making, I had never really thought about it, but making that thing where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm totally Peter. I was the firstborn, but oh my gosh, we can also all see ourselves in Little Fudgy and how ridiculous he is. I know, the best. This. I would read that book over and over and over. And then I was also uh, very much Ramona in mm. the 
in the Ramona series by Beverly Cleary. Like right. that's because she always kind of made slightly poor decisions yes. uh, and then got herself in trouble. Like that was my childhood. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. And then for me, I think the other one that I loved so much was Anne of Green Gables because I was, you know, I always had these, you know, special kindred spirit friendships and was such a dreamer and could totally relate to how, I don't know, how great she was and her best friend Diana. And oh, how dramatic she was. I mean, you're like hitting all of my, all of my like spirit animals here because, (laughs) you know, first of all, I loved the 80s. With uh, Megan Follows and uh, Jonathan Crombie, like the 80s version of of that, like the Canadian. And then I actually worked on on cruise ships. And I'm not even joking. I took a ship because we went to Prince Edward Island. That's <gasps> the only reason I took that ship in that run yes. is because I wanted to go to uh, – and I actually got to go to the author, which I'm um, – her home – and yeah. I went on this whole Anna Green Gables tour and I drank raspberry cordial. I mean, it was like the best day of my life. Oh my God. I am so jealous. <laughs> I recommend this cruise. It's not that expensive. I worked for Hell in America Line at the time, but it was amazing. Like I took the tour and I like like teared up like seven different times because I like this is this is like all of the things of my like childhood like oh, coming together. It was that amazing. Is a- that's a bit of heaven right there. It was. And I had to ride in a carriage. Oh, no. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> so have you – okay, we have to go there. Have you seen Anne with an E? I think it's on Hulu or – I can't do it. You I haven't can. seen it? No, I can't do it. I don't know no. why. It's I good. am it's good. such – isn't it? Okay. I am such a Jonathan Crombie fan. Like, mm-hmm. he was like – oh. That Gilbert Blythe from yeah. uh, him as Jim, as uh, Gilbert Blythe was like everything mm-hmm. to me. Like when I was ten years old, and yeah. and I just am having a hard time like placing other other people into those characters. Well, that's fair enough. I was not a oh, okay. This this is where we'll differ a little. I was not a huge fan of that early version, and this one oh, no. is really good. Like Anne is so special in this one. I, she's almost. She edges on too much. Like, she's so great that I kind of can only watch one episode at a time. There's no binging this show for me. It's very bizarre. But um, really, you could put a toe in and just try it, maybe. I, I'm sure I will. And in fact, maybe tonight I will I will check it out. I've been meaning to I've been meaning to check it out. But I, I find that I'm not like running to it as quickly as I thought I would. Right. Because I have such like this like love for the original just like you know same with like pride and prejudice like the 90s version with childbirth and stuff so yeah yeah. if someone tried to redo star wars i'd be like no that isn't happening get over yourselves (laughs) absolutely Absolutely. (laughs) totally get it okay well that folks is not (laughs) even in the conversation That's this is gonna be like a three hour. This is gonna be a three hour interview. (laughs) (laughs) nerding out over anne of green gables i love it well so would you like to tell us a little bit about what it is you do now. Yeah, absolutely. Besides obsess over 80s, uh, you know, <laughs> books and television shows. Yes, I would. I am the troop leader of love for the League of Adventurous Singles, which is my community that of incredible single women who are working on themselves to eventually be great for relationships. In looking at your site, I I know that you've had a rather adventurous journey to get to where you are. 
Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I really like, I know my audience loves kind of the daisy chain of events. Isn't that an Anne term? I think she says it all the time. <laughs> chain of, I, was, I was loving, <laughs> I, I don't know where it's from, but I was loving it. I'm like, yeah, she so does the daisy chain? I did, wow. the daisy chain of events that led you <laughs> to be this group leader. Like, how did you get there? Because I think uncovering the tidbits and the juiciness behind that is always what's so fascinating. Well, I mean, you know, there's a, there is a daisy chain, everything from going to camp when I was growing up and having that life changing experience for me, because I was from a small town. And I knew every person from the age of five Mm -hmm. uh, in my class, you know, going to camp when I started actually seventh or eighth grade, I didn't go to a little bit later. That was that was life changing. And my whole entire adult life has been about creating incredible uh, spaces and places for people. Yes. So whether that be, you know, for actually before I became a life coach, that I actually ran camps and outdoor schools. And I mentioned I worked on cruise ships and I ran ki- the kids program mm-hmm. because I loved recreating those experiences for youth. And then somewhere along the way, uh, in my early 30s, I was like, I- I'm done with this. What's my what's my next step? And I was actually one of my friends had just become a life coach and we were sitting and we were talking and I'm like, I need a new idea. And, you know, at the end of the conversation, she's like, I think you should look at life coaching. I'm like, I actually think I should, too. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was it was really nothing more romantic or exciting than this, like, practical conversation of what my skill set was. And and then how I became a coach for singles is because I sat down and said, what do I want to talk about every single day that would Mm -hmm. never get boring to me, that would always that I could get very passionate about. And it was love. I thought, what is more interesting, exciting, and wonderful to talk about every day than love? And in that process, I have then created a business and worked my butt off for it. <laughs> we are in year nine, and it's going pretty well. That is so awesome. Ooh, yes. Uh, the kindred spiritness here runs deep because Yes, also a camp counselor and retreat leader here. Um, yeah, I think there's there's such a good tidbit right there about you saying, what is it that I want to do every day? I mean, it, it seems so simple, but it is so powerful. And that love is your answer. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and there was a little bit of like, I think I can also do this, right? Like, I think it's something that I don't want to get so romantic about it that I was like, this is a market. <laughs> you know, when you start your you start your business, I've had people like come to me like, oh, I love your brand. Like, I really want to do this with these people. I'm like, who's going to pay you and how? Who's going to pay you and how? And I, and I was like, you know, divorce rate is up. There are people now who are single, single longer or single again. And I think as a, as a culture, we can start having smarter conversations about that. And I want to lead those conversations. There's definitely some true passion for this topic, but it was a passion that kind of grew out of some really like smart and educated decisions. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sensing there's there's kind of a tie in here if guests are listening and they're like, who else is like this? I mean, I feel like Laura Sims also talks a little bit about this of it's not really about the passion, but it's also about what's going to be able to pay the bills. I mean, and like, right. where is that magical crossroads of something you want to do every day? but also makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the, one of the, the funniest things to me is when, you know, everybody's out there like, be an entrepreneur. And I'm like, <laughs> be an entrepreneur is hard, right? It's it is hard. 
It yeah. is so hard. And, yeah. you know, it's lucky that I, I do love this. And I feel, feel like I did choose wisely. And so this, you know, keeps going and it keeps going well at this point. But, you know, my first I, how many years were really tough? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, not months, not days, not weeks, years were really tough as I was figuring out what this looked like. I was figuring out my voice. I was figuring out what, you know, my brand and my marketing and and, uh, my style and all of the things were. And it took me took me a long time. And and I will tell you, I love this partially because I have worked so hard for it. Yes. And I love that you're you're calling that out into the light that it is had us not been like this really simple path. I mean, because I think it's so easy for anyone looking to be an entrepreneur or anyone that's like thinking, oh, I'll do that. But they see where you are or somebody else is right now. And yeah, you make it look easy because you're here and it's been nine years. But like, I love the underline there of like, but yeah, but there's nine years of hard work to get to this very second that isn't always isn't always shared or talked about or or brought to the light. I will happily talk about that any day of the week because I feel like people don't talk about it. And yeah. and like I said, I, I think that my passion grows for this, for this industry, for this topic, because I have failed so much at it, because mm-hmm. I've had to, you know, work hard and build my confidence at this. I almost feel bad for people who would who would become instant successes because at some point there's gonna be some growing pains. You know, right. this has been a slow burn for me from the beginning. Mm. Yeah. So what advice would you have for someone who's just kind of in that year one, year two, and they're like, Oh, this is hard. You know, I mean, keep going, right? Understand that it's going to be a lot of work and and find the things that you love out of it. Just keep going and make sure that the pros outweigh the cons. I can't say it any better than that. Because sometimes I think that people come come to me after two or three years and just say, this doesn't feel good. And I'm like, then don't do it. You know, and I mean, I think that there is also, uh, I, I know that Seth Godin talks about this, you know, like where, you know, where the dippers are, where where it's okay to say, this isn't for me. And I don't think that entrepreneurship is for everybody. And people keep selling it like it is. I think you you really try and you make sure that the pros are outweighing the cons. But if there's a time where like a long period of time where this is a struggle every day, and the cons are outweighing the pros, like, look at that. Look at what you do to, you know, look at how you thrive every day. And is this actually fitting in to that? Because there is a choice there. I mean, you could, <laughs> I know I mentioned this in my own notes, even about relationships, but like, like bowing out is a choice. <laughs> right. And it's sometimes it's, and sometimes it's the right choice. I mean, I don't want to, I, I, you know, I want to make sure that I don't come off as like negative, but oh, I, no. I'm really into, you know, I'm in my forties now. And my biggest goal in life and in this business is to find my truths. What are the truths? Like I mentioned, I mentioned music before and singing. I loved singing. In fact, I originally was going to become a music teacher. My parents were both teachers. My grandparents were mostly teachers. And somewhere around college, they kind of talked me out of that. They talked me out of going into education. But also in that process, because I went to, because I went from being a big fish in a small pond to a small fish in a bigger pond, and everybody was as good and good as me, if not better, I gave up. I I stopped singing. And I've had to in the last six months because I'm like, what lights you up here that you're not doing? And, and I instantly go to singing. And I had to get very clear on like, I made choices out of fear back then. I made choices that because I looked around and everybody was as good at me as, as me, I, I quit. Instead of going, I'm going to like try harder. 
<laughs> you know, I quit. And, and now I'm like, okay, so how do I do this now out of love? That's the big thing. That's the core of like what I teach is like, how do we make decisions out of love versus fear? And I just think it's so important to to look at those things and to and to get back to the truths. Coming at things from love instead of fear. And I think that's such a good gut check. Right. If something doesn't feel right. What is it that you do with singles and finding relationships? Like, how would you define that if somebody's like, okay, this is interesting. What What is it that she does? So what I really do is uh, I work with single women and we work on the only person in any relationship that they can control, which is themselves. Mm. Right. And I am very practical and, you know, there's a lot of psychology and science behind what I do because I think that love, although absolutely beautiful, also is really looked at with a lot of unicorn fairy dust in our world. (laughs) Yes. Right. Where, where, how are we such like evolved species? But yet when we talk about love and relationships and dating, we're just like, oh my God, it just happens. Or I'll just know it when I see it. And there's no like, who am I? What do I need? Where do I, what do I need on a daily basis to thrive in a relationship? Because it's going to be different for everybody, right? And how do I share that with another person? How did I learn to love? All of these things are things that I do with people really digging into you know, who they are, what they need, and then how to communicate that to another super flawed person. And how does somebody figure that out? I mean, what I mean, you kind of- obviously work with me, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally. Well, I, I mean, I guess the other question I have there is, where is something like The Little Mermaid or Disney selling us a bag of, you know, poo? <laughs> right. <laughs> On right. like what we really should expect out of a relationship. Because I think there's that thing where we love the fantasy, but then I, I don't know. There's something here that like it doesn't quite match. Well, you know, I'm gonna get. Listen, you, you you've just started a rant that's about to like, <laughs> yeah, it'll, like 17 minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I just wrote. So I just wrote an audiobook, and there's a whole section that talks about how media is really skewing our our thoughts about love and relationships, and and you know, not just Disney, right? Not just Disney, right. but. You know, that we have to remember that every day there are writers sitting in a room, whether it's for a TV show or a movie, with the goal of how do we tell the most interesting, the most romantic, the most dramatic story to sell commercials, to sell uh, seats for for that movie, right? Like their goal is to make it really exciting, Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that, you know, as somebody I know you're married, I'm in a long term relationship at this point. Every day is not super exciting. Right? Right. It's like, <laughs> you know, it, it isn't. And the thing is, is that I feel like because we have that as a role model, right? That's where. So let's say that we learned how to love a couple different ways. First of all, like it's it's, you know, our parents or our family. And if that wasn't so awesome, where else do we look? Where else do we see people having relationships on a daily basis? It's a media, right? Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily watch anybody else in the relationship. And I don't care if in our intellectual mind, we're like, well, of course, that's not real. There's a part where that starts seeping in as, as reality. And then when we get into a situation where it doesn't feel magical every day, or, you know, not all the romantic, you know, things are happening, you know, on a regular basis, we're like, well, is this love? 
mm-hmm. you know, or is this, you know, is there chemistry here? Or, and it's, it's killing us because yeah. that's not what love and relationships are. It's not how they look. And I just see all of these, particularly women who are consistently disappointed by partners um, and by dates because they have these super not realistic expectations, you know, and, and, and I even see that, you know, why we're obsessed with weddings, why we're obsessed with, you know, these like YouTube marriage proposals is because they are the real life examples of these huge romantic moments, right? Yes. Yeah. But that's then, a really, really good point there. Yeah. And then, but there's, but then you actually have a person standing by you every day for the rest of your life. And you better know that person. You better know how to communicate with that person. You better know how to solve problems together. Mm-hmm. You better know how each one loves to be loved. Yeah. Or otherwise, you know, after year two or three or five or seven or whatever it is, you are going to feel disconnected. You are going to think, well, this just isn't love. Right. But my get, but, you know, due to the fact that, you know, we're over the 50% for divorces, uh, second marriages are at 57% divorce Mm -hmm. rate and third marriages are, uh, 63% divorce rate. Wow. No, sorry. 67 and 73 uh, percent. Yeah. It's because we just think that the new shiny thing is going to fix it versus I don't, I don't know what I actually need or I don't know how to communicate who I am and and what I need to another person in a positive way. You know, I don't know how to a big thing for my ladies, because I'm so as we see, like, independent, and, you know, bigger than life and all of these things is that they have no idea how to be vulnerable in a relationship, right? And if we don't know how to be vulnerable, that's actually where the love lies. The way that we take care of each other, the appreciation, the gratitude, the love love lies in those those cracks in between, not in the independence or the perfectionism or, you know, we can't love perfect. And if you have no idea how to tell a person how to fit in your life or where you need them, then we're never going to have deeper connections and relationships that last. Right. You know, right. We, we won't get past those those fairy tale moments, if you will, like right. or those really milestone big goal I don't know if it's a goal, but milestone moments where someone gets married, someone has a right. baby. But I, I feel like then the media, there's no stories beyond that. <laughs> right. Well, like those are the things. Right. And, you know, and what I say is that, you know, my my boyfriend and I, uh, we've had lovely moments. I mean, for goodness sakes, we just moved to Costa Rica and back for the winter. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've traveled the world together in the last three years. We, you know, there's lots of moments that people could be like, wow, good for you guys. Ultimately, our relationship is built on our couch, talking through the hard stuff, mm-hmm. you know, me with my own like personal health journey, you know, we in the first year that we dated, he went through rehab for for alcohol. I mean, we have been through some crap, <laughs> but those moments are what build the connection. And, 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 you know, at this point, I wake up knowing I am truly and deeply loved every day for exactly who I am. And to me, that's what this is about. Right. It's not about the weddings and it's not about those huge moments as you were talking about mm-hmm. or, you know, him and I kissing in the rain or, or whatever. <laughs> it's yeah. about it's about looking over at my partner who's choosing to be there every single day with me, choosing to love me every single day as I am, which is kind of ridiculous 85% of the time. 
Um, I mean, I don't think we could ask for anything more because we are in a place of 2017 where we don't have to have relationships as women. We did for hundreds and hundreds of years, but we don't. So, so we better get very clear on what a good relationship looks like and feels like and what we personally need so that when we have it, it's a choice and it feels great. Mm-hmm. Right. And same. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think the super interesting thing is it's, it's a big shift for a lot of people that we get out of that someone who completes me or whatever that nonsense is. Oh, that you had, <laughs> yeah, or you had me at hello. Right. <laughs> like that we get beyond that and into the thing that we need, like each of us needs instead of it being like this person's going to make me full or whole or whatever that nonsense is. How do you go about getting into that shift? Like if somebody's listening, they're like, yeah, you know what? This sounds like the truth. Like where can they start to look to find those pieces? Well, I mean, I think it just starts looking at, you know, what are the stories in your head you're making up about yourself, about the people you're meeting, you Mm -hmm. know, about dating and love in general? I mean, start writing them down. You know, when you see somebody, you know, is it from a place of love or fear, right? And, And the place of, of, uh, when it comes to dating and relationships, one of the things I talk about is sometimes people say, well, I love him. I mean, it's a terrible relationship. We can't communicate. You know, he's mildly abusive, but I love him. So that's out of love. And I'm like, no, but that's out of fear because mm-hmm. you're, you're a fear of being alone. You're a fear of possibly being abandoned. You're a fear that you're not attractive enough or you're, you, you know, there's a lot of choices that we make in dating and relationships out of fear. And once we start, in fear, it's very hard to turn that into love. Yeah. Right. When both people are coming from those fears, place places where they're like, I'm just really lonely or I really want to have a kid in the next two years or, you know, whatever it is, all of those are fear based places. So turning that around is is it's not impossible, but it sure is hard. And mm-hmm. so I think it's you know, I think it's very, very important to um, to just be aware of as you're out there looking, what are the stories you're making up about, um, about yourself, Mm -hmm. about other people, about what relationships should feel like or look like, and then understand, right? Like here's, here's like two things that I'll tell tell you people right now, understand that there is no way that you are going to know if that person's going to be a great match for you in the first couple dates. Impossible. It's impossible. The only thing that we can really know in the first couple of dates is, um, do we have any major like value differences? You know, do I find them at this point, you know, physically attractive, which by the way, attraction can grow and on some level should. And then, you know, the one thing I I tell people is don't go into first dates with, you know, is this person going to be my boyfriend? Is this person going to be my husband? Is this person going to be the future father of my children? Instead, the only question you ask at the end of it is, can this person be emotionally and physically available for a relationship with me? Because so many times that answer is no, and we keep pursuing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but do we go- pursue it because of that fear of being alone? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, or it's also confirming something, right? I, I have this huge obsession right now with confirmation bias, which is if you, let's say you're a fixer. I am a recovering fixer. That's my thing. Me too. Yes. Right. So I used to put myself in situations where I would see the in quotes potential, right? Potential for this person. They didn't know what they wanted to do, or they were kind of underachievers. They tended to drink a little bit too much, you know, but I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to love them until they're great. 
you know, and that's fear because number one, I loved being in that role. There was Mm -hmm. something about me being in that role that felt comfortable to me Mm -hmm. and that I believed somewhere deep down in my subconscious, well, if I help them become more, they will stay with me. Right. Right. And it also and, you know, the thing is, is that also when you you get into those roles where one person's kind of like trying to help the other person, what happens when they actually are in a great spot? Who are you going to be then? Right. Because your value has inherently been as the fixer. And so then you're kind of the Mary Poppins figure where they don't need you anymore. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Because you know what? And and I've actually straight up seen this play out in real life mm-hmm. where, you know, a woman has gone and kind of fixed, you know, kind of fixed the relationship, even married that person. And then all of a sudden, they become the person that they always hoped they would be. And then both of them have no idea how to have a relationship because the roles have changed. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's so true. Well, and then how do you navigate that change? Because you're two totally different people in this scenario. I mean, with a ton of therapy, unfortunately, right? Because that's because you're not probably going to navigate that by yourselves. Because ultimately, you know, we 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 play roles in our relationships. And mm-hmm. you may look at your past relationships and say, wow, they're all different. But I bet the role you played was the same, right? Yes. And I bet that role is a role that you learned growing up from your family. One of the things that I do in my owner's manual, which is my my process, is we look for a week and how you learn to love and how that might be different and how it might be helping you or, or not, might not be helping you. Because right. we all learn to love a little bit different. We all learn, you know, different things about love, what was acceptable, what wasn't acceptable. And if you're out there dating with this idea that everybody learned to love the same way as you did, boy, it's going to be tough. Because <laughs> they didn't. Right. Because they didn't. Exactly. Ooh, yeah, that's so, there's so much good stuff there. I mean, even if you just look at like, I'm happy to share about my, my first marriage. Please do. Yes. Um, there was a lot there that he learned to love in a family that ha- had alcohol abuse. Mm-hmm. And so learning from some learning to love from someone who is completely inconsistent in how they are from one, you know, moment to the next was, I think, totally confusing to him. And so then interacting with me, his reactions were also completely inconsistent because he would think that, oh, well, she said something now, but she'll mean something else later by it. So it was really bizarre. And so my grounding was not the same. And I think probably adult children of alcoholics have a rough go of it anyway. If that's your history, please, you know, look into that because you've got some maybe relearning to do. (laughs) Realizing at some point that, I couldn't understand how he was loving. It meant that I was feeling really lonely all the time. And, and so that's a really interesting thing there that you've kind of even indicated that then what was the choice? And I've mentioned like my choice was one of them was to leave or get a lot of therapy, which I didn't know if it would work. And so my choice was that I left. But I think it's super interesting what, what you just said about how do people learn to love? I don't know if you wanted to dig into that with a partner. Is it something you can kind of dig into as a couple? Or is it something you really should get therapy or help with? I mean, I do think that there are tools out there that you can dig into it without having to pay anybody or more than like a, a $25 book. There's yeah. an excellent book. I'm a huge Harville Hendricks fan. There's two books. There's one for um, singles and then there's one for couples. So yeah, keeping the love you find and then getting the love you want. So getting the love you want is the couples. And there's actually a book and there's a workbook along with that that are 
if you can get through it, because it's hard, right? It's thick. <laughs> it's deep. But if you do it, I wow, like, will your relationship be in a different place, right? Because it talks about healing childhood wounds. And it talks about, you know, how you learn to love. And, you know, it, and just even my story is, my father, bless his cotton socks. So my, my dad was an extreme genius. Uh, he had a very, very high IQ. And what that meant is that he lived inside his head 90% of the time, right? He was constantly processing and thinking. And what love looked like to me was I only got attention about 10% of the time. So I would constantly attract and find people who would give me some attention and then go away and then give me some attention and go away. And on some level, even though that felt not good, it felt comfortable to me. Because that's what I knew. And when somebody would show up and actually be what I now know is healthy, which is show up with integrity, call when they say they're going to call, you know, like take me out when they say, you know, I was like, what is up with this person? Why are they all up at my grill? Like, what's going on? Like, I, you know, I'm feeling smothered. I'm feeling. And ultimately, that's because I was super uncomfortable with somebody giving me what what a normal, healthy amount of attention was because I had never had it like that. Mm, yeah. And and I had to start, you know, really digging into my own stuff and just kind of, you know, talking myself through the situation, which is I know this is healthy. And though it feels uncomfortable, it's okay with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of vulnerability there of just being in the discomfort. That's part of my owner's manual. So I shared it with the person I was dating. I said, you know, here's some of my things. Sometimes you're going to like show up and it's going to feel like a lot for me. And I will make sure I tell you when that is and what what I need in those moments. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, because it's unfair for me to think that they're just going to figure that out or that they have any idea <laughs> that that's even happening. Right. So yes. so that's part of, you know, that's part of what, you know, your owner's manual is, is like understanding kind of the stuff that you hold on to. And how do you communicate that to another person so you can move forward? Yes, I love that. Because then it comes from a place of like mutual understanding and both people being authentic instead of it being like, yeah, I don't know why that's freaking me out. (laughs) Right, right. But you have to know that stuff about yourself, right? If you're dating from this completely emotional place of this feels good, this doesn't feel good. I don't know why, but (laughs) this doesn't feel good. You know, when we're dating, it, it doesn't make sense because we're picking the most important relationship of our life. Why would we go into that so blindly? Ooh, that's that's such a nugget of truth right there. And and yet we do because somehow we think the stars will align and something magical right. is going to happen and then there'll be a rainbow or whatever. Right, and things will just work their way their, themselves out. Like I, I don't know anybody who has a super healthy relationship where things just automatically work themselves out. Like that doesn't exist. You know, I can't show up at the hospital tomorrow and be like, I'm going to be a doctor. Let's do this. You know, like, (laughs) hello, like I had to go through education. I had to learn about, you know, medicine and, you know, all of the things. So why do we just automatically assume something as important as a primary relationship that we're going to have for hopefully a really, really long time is just like we will just know it. We'll just know it when we see it or we'll just know how to do it. You know, it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you wrap that up with some of us who might be um, perfectionists. What? <laughs> I can see some I can see some dangerous layering in here where you just want to get it right, <laughs> but gosh, it's going to be all emotional. And yeah, how does anyone really navigate that? You know what I say to people, because I think there's a lot of shame around maybe mm-hmm. not being good at dating or shame about not being naturally good at relationships. And, 
you know, I would never expect that if somebody walked up on the street and handed me like a complex math problem that I would know how to do it if I've never been taught, why would we be hard on ourselves for not knowing how to have a deep relationship Mm. if you've never been taught? Yes, I love it. That is a great question. And hopefully kind of an awakening awakening for some people of like, let go of of any of the shoulds or judgments you might have around your own self, but just kind of, I don't know, get curious and, and start learning more and let go of some of the expectations of, of what this should be. Yeah, absolutely. Because the only person who's going to know what this is going to be in your relationship are you and your partner, and you're going to build that together. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's going to look... And that's going to look different for everybody. It drives me crazy when we talk about like men do this and women do that and men do. I'm like, no, they don't. I do me. You do you. And I can guarantee that my boyfriend does exactly what is important and right for him. Like we need to start thinking a little more like intellectually about about love and dating. Like, I mean, my boyfriend is is way more sensitive than I am. Like straight up, like he cried 10 times more than I did in the first year of our relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and does that make him bad or wrong? Or No, it just makes him him. Right. He's had his own experiences. He has his own personality. So to say that he's like every guy out there is so disrespectful. Mm-hmm. You know, so when we talk as women, like, oh, men do that, you know, men are like this. I'm like, really? Are they? They're not. <laughs> yeah there's people who are great at relationships who are guys or people who are great at relationships who are women and there are people who are not on both on both genders totally agree and i think it's it's hard for both sides when we start to try and stereotype or bucket people as they should act like this or not or whatever that it's really individual people instead of it being a man should be this or a woman should be that Right. Well, and I mean, to me, that's where the confirmation bias lies, which means, you know, we seek out things that confirm what we believe because it makes us feel safe. So if you believe that, you know, men are inherently bad or just out for one thing or, you know, not really looking for relationships, like you will go out of your way to find stories and situations that confirm that. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and then you will actually ignore things that don't that don't confirm it. You'll be like, oh, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would they do that? Well, let's talk a little bit about um, if somebody's like that Kira, she knows what she's talking about. Where can they find you online? Uh, League of Adventurous Singles dot com. So all one, all one word. Um, I mean, it's it's really interesting. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram, you know, all the places. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's where you find me. And I have a podcast called seven minutes in heaven. Awesome. Um, and it's usually 20 minutes. So I'll just like, you know, <laughs> make sure that everybody expects, like, I just get ranting as you've seen me do here and it ends up being much longer than seven minutes. But I thought that was an awesome name it is. because I seem to like all things eighties. And so, uh, <laughs> that was an awesome name for a podcast and they did used to be seven minutes, but you know, it's why hard. not? Sure. Why not share the genius? Yeah. That's what I have to say. A few more minutes in heaven, no one can resist that. Right, right? Yeah. Right? And I think I describe it as uh, self-help for the ADHD or 
you know, it's a lot like the actual game, which if you don't know what seven minutes in heaven is, it's it's where like in middle school, you would go into a closet with a boy for seven minutes and then you're supposed to like kiss or make out or whatever. And my podcast is kind of that awkward. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's perfect. I mean, and that's, um, I think that's the joy of that game too. Is you really never knew what was going to happen. <laughs> I don't think that, like, I don't even know if I ever actually played that game because I was too scared. And I'd be like, I'm just going to go over here and do this. I think yeah, I was too nervous. I, okay, total transparency. I don't think I ever did either. But the idea was always alluring. But I was not that girl in high school. Oh, my god! Like, got even, was- even got invited. So, um, yeah. I was, yeah. I mean, I think I was scared of men until maybe my 20s. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole that's a whole nother podcast. Let's get to our last couple questions. Um, okay. This one: What does balance look like for you, or if you prefer, how uh, how do you maintain harmony in your life? That's always such a hard question. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> yeah. I like to be real, yeah. which is because of my business, I don't I don't have as much balance and harmony mm-hmm. as I want to, but I'm working on it. I mean, I'm an extreme extrovert, so getting out of my house, going to a co-working space or a coffee shop, having, you know, dinner with friends is so important to me. Otherwise, I just lose it. I mean, literally, it's just um, as well as travel. I think travel is everything. I do multiple retreats a year, usually internationally. I think that we become better people when we see different cultures, different languages, you know, different people doing different things than, than we know. So um, I, I would say that it's more in the the like choices of of time I spend with people or on holidays than anything than on a daily basis, which I'm working on, Paula. I'm working on it. I love that answer though, because I, I think it's real. I'll tell it you, it is that. real. Well, and I love like spiritual medium Paul Selig was on, and he was like, "I don't have balance." <laughs> I haven't figured this out. And he's like, and I know I need it, but being a medium for other spirits means I'm kind of, it's been really hard to figure it out. It was the most fascinating answer. But I love that you've called out that you, as an extreme extrovert, your balance is going to look so much different than somebody that may be more of an introvert and needs a lot more time to themselves. Um, right. Because that would probably make you and I crazy. <laughs> Well, and I think that, you know, and I think that balance isn't a beautiful goal. And it's it's something that I think that especially as an entrepreneur, it's it's very hard to get to. Yeah, I um, totally agree. You know, so I, I, I think that is my truth right now, at least. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's for that's forever. But, you know, luckily, I love what I do so much. It doesn't, you know, some days are harder than others, but it doesn't feel yucky. You know what I mean? I don't like, I'm not at the end of the day, like, Oh, thank God that's over. I'm more like, Oh my gosh, how come I don't have enough time to like do this podcast that I want to do? Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Well, and that's why that, that question, I changed the second to last question or or have both seasons. And this one's been interesting because some people just cringe at this idea of balance, but it's, (laughs) it's been interesting to see then what comes out of that discussion because I think, I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't have it. But it sounds lovely. So, right. <laughs> and then last and most joyfully, what are three ways you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? For me, and what I preach, I should say it that way, is that I think that one of the reasons that we're, we're not so joyful 
right now is a disconnect. Though I love parts of technology and how many people I've gotten to meet and stay connected with on a daily basis because of it versus 20, 30 years ago, I think there's also a disconnect because of it. So to me, it is like getting out of your house. It is starting to say hello to people because people need that. You know, making eye contact, just kind of the things that I think we used to do and we don't as much anymore because, gosh, Paula, if there's one thing that I know in the world that I work in, there are a lot of lonely people out there. Mm. You know, a lot of lonely people who are, you know, maybe not touched or hugged for days or weeks. And if we want to see people online who are trolls and leave all the terrible comments, what I'm thinking is, wow, why are they so unhappy? Yeah. You know, and it's because I, I, I think that people feel so disconnected that it just creates such a deep loneliness. Mm-hmm. And we have this false sense of connection online and on our phone. But, you know, get back out with people, say hello, smile, make eye contact, all of the basics. And I think it's it's life changing. And it's, ama- it's amazing how you can turn your own day around just by doing some of those really simple things if you are already someone who has connections and feels alive and, and not lonely. I think you can change somebody's day and maybe their life just by doing those things. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing I really tell my people to do, if they're like, what do I do right now? I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, start doing that. And then one of my great friends who has done a few interviews for the owner's manual and, and his name is Rob Mack. He wrote a book called uh, happiness from the inside out. And his big thing is like, if you want more love, give more love, put more love out into the world. You know, to me, that looks like if you are feeling like you're struggling and eye contact feels hard, give compliments because my gosh, can that turn somebody's day around? You know, even just something silly. I remember in 1990, like seven, when I was in a Marriott in Miami and some guy told me he liked my toenail polish. I still remember that because it was so out of the blue. And I was like, thank you. That's so nice. Thank you. You know, and so if you are feeling lonely, then, you know, start in that space of just, you know, connecting in the smallest ways possible and and go out of your way to give five compliments a day. Some to people, you know, and some to people you don't and start seeing how that feels. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Kira. I've just, this has been amazing. And I really, I I hope that you'll come back for another round because this has just been really so much fun and such a joy. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your joy, your magic, and your love of the 80s with the world. It is such a treat to have you on the show. And I do hope you'll come back for season three because we have like 1 million more things to chat about. Kira is just about to open up a new five-day challenge on her website, which will help you figure out exactly why you are single and why you're not meeting the right people to date. And so I know you're going to want to check that out. You just need to visit her website at LOAS for leagueofadventurousingles.com slash challenge. Also, if you want to get the links to some of these books that we've talked about and to Anne of Green Gables, you can go, you can find the links uh, in the show notes for this episode at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 95. Next week on the show, I am super excited to have Sarah Shuttle with me. She is the heart and soul behind Verity Road, and she's the brand stylist from England. She shares about her journey in finding her voice, how to get past perfectionism, and how to get past external expectations. Sarah's lens is to see 
the crossroads of how these things tie in with your marketing and personal life. And I just know you're going to love our conversation about all of it. I hope you'll come back next week. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.